welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets splintered? You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rain. Well, hey, there's something slimy down there. I don't like it. Aw, oh, you're trying to scare me. Hey! Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood, as we continue our month-long discussion of Bugs and Bugs Gone Wild, brother, in 1980s horror movies. Up next, if you like hospitals that were insane asylums with big, giant insect creature bugs with slime that kind of like try to rip off aliens, but it didn't work that well. If you like um, uh, uh, cops named Jim... Uh, wandering around, running. This guy ran like every scene he was running. Like he, he was just running all over the place. If you like uh, uh, doctors who try to cure patients but then get slimed all over, this is a review for you, brother. Because the Retro Blood is talking all about Blue Monkey, aka Insect. Jay Allison, James Client, what's happening, Allison? Hey, what's up, man? How's your um, how's your bug month going so far? I mean, bug month's going great so far. Um, honestly, I gotta say though, um, so like my New Year's resolution this year. So we're halfway through the year almost. My New Year's resolution this year is to try and like most things. Um, you know, I, like I, like I'm get, kind of getting tired of like people just kind of shitting on everything and talking about how shitty everything is. I'm trying to like when I watch movies and listen to music and stuff this year. I'm trying to like find a reason to like it. Oh really? Um, now, yeah. What happened to um, that uh, that Macedon concert you went to? You hated that first band that came out, Lorna Shore. Oh, uh, Lorna Shore just sucks, though. I mean, like I don't know, like, that that band just is terrible. Like, there's nothing good about. But we're that trying band. to be more positive like, over here. Well, I tried, but you you know, you, it's impossible with them. <laughs> they they just suck. They're, they're just a terrible, terrible band. They're just garbage. We'll get to anyway. You. Anyway, I was trying really hard. Uh, to like everything for this year and this movie i have to say challenged me a little bit i didn't hate it still thought it was pretty good but it i it, mean it challenged I, me a little bit well, this, you, this week i was challenged what do you, what do you i mean what, what did what, what how did you not get entertained was it the old ladies getting drunk wasn't doing it for you <laughs> All right. I, I don't know. I don't even know what was going on most of the time in this movie. was it the like, corporate it kind of- boss roger <laughs> Not doing it for you. Well, you there? seem like you seem like you got way more out of this movie than I did. So uh, we'll see what you think about it after. Well, we talk about I mean, it. I'm not gonna lie. I was a little bored, but there yeah. was, a, you know, usually when I'm bored and you know I'm taking these notes, you, you know, so you you know what you notice different things when you take like massive notes like I do, like yeah, like you notice true. like when they're getting to the action scenes, like every scene was Jim running. I mean, he ran to the tunnel. 
He ran to the office. Yes. He ran away from the bug. He ran away from the bug again. I mean, this guy, he must have got his workout on set because, boy, towards the end, he was just running everywhere. Unless they just looped the scene over and over again. But, um, you know, I this one, uh, this, this one was not really that entertaining. You know, it's just kind of like there. No. Like, I don't think I would watch this again. You know, but I mean, no, I'll, no. Like I like it. Like you know, well, we'll get into the full thing, but you can kind of no. see why they didn't make any sequels. I mean, it was just kind of there. I would say. But uh, speaking, yeah, oh, I would say I would say you're right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, you're right. It's it was not that it's that bad. It's just like eh, there's just nothing to it. Yeah, I mean, really. it was just. I mean, you could tell they got the plot. The 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 plot was very similar to Aliens, but you know, obviously, they wanted to do a little bit more science scientific when it comes to insects and how they spurred and some shit like that. But it, and then they had some kids in there, you know. It it is it, yeah. it, it was what it was. So, but we'll get on to it though. But we do have a lot of stuff to talk about, especially when it comes to the history segment. Because there was a lot going on um, during the the release time of the uh, the Blue Monkey, which is you know, so I know it's called Blue Monkey, but it's, it's like his main title because everywhere else we find it, it's called Insect. I know. I thought that was weird when I was trying to look this up. I've always known this movie to be called Blue Monkey. Yeah, because that's what the VHS was called when it came out originally. Um, Guess you couldn't but, like market Insect. Uh, Nothing I'm guessing. I mean, it, it maybe not. Maybe insect was too generic, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Like it fits the movie better than calling it Blue Monkey. Yeah, because the only Blue Monkey reference we got is from our from our boy Joey, which we'll talk about yes. him soon. Him and his crew when they were going down the tunnel, the one of the one of the little girls mentioned a Blue Monkey. Like, hey, we're gonna find a Blue Monkey down here. So I thought you said a Blue Monster. She said Blue Monster, or I thought she said Blue Monkey. Maybe she did. If she said Blue Monkey, then that makes sense. But like, yeah. but I swear, like they're walking through those tunnels, and she says, uh, she says uh, something like, "I think we're gonna, I bet we're gonna find a Blue Monster down here." And hmm. that was it. Like that. That's why the movie is called Blue Monkey. I guess I. I don't know. It's 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 just crazy. But um, but yeah, I mean, insects suits it better, but it's more generic. But, I mean, if I were going to the movie theaters and saw this movie called Blue Monkey, this is not what I would expect it to be about. Now, before we get into the history now, like, is there, like, a meaning? Is Blue Monkey supposed to be, like, some sort of, like, insect or something? Did I miss here? I don't think here? so. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, I mean, a Blue Monkey is a thing. Like, that's a kind of monkey, but it has nothing to do with this movie that I can recall. Yeah, now, I, I did mean, have to kind of watch this movie a little faster than I normally would watch a movie for the show, but um, I I don't know. I'm yeah. a little bit confused myself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is like a, like you're saying, like an actual blue monkey, which is it's a monkey who has a very blue shade on him, but yeah, there's like no monkey at all in this movie. It's just a big giant bug. No. Yeah, they don't even really talk about a monkey. There's, there's like no reference to a monkey at all, except for that one girl saying it. But anyway, we're gonna go down a rabbit hole if right. we keep doing that. <laughs> yes, yeah. But let's get into the history stuff because we do have a lot to talk about when it comes to the uh, the release date. So this one was released on VHS. All right, a good old good old VHS. So that means, brother, when you're in the freaking 
Jay Allison's video in and out store, you want to try to rent yourself mm-hmm. a little vat you tape, you would see a title called Blue Monkey. You pop it in there, you're like, where the fucking monkey? There's just a bunch of bugs and like, hot looking doctors that look like strippers more than that look like doctors. It's great. So, but it came out on March 31st, 1988. So, mm-hmm. so we are going to talk about what's kind of happening around metal during that release date, but uh, we're going to do wrestling a little different for this particular episode because I believe it was on, oh, let me get my dates over here. I believe it was on uh, uh, June 7th that one Iron Sheik passed away. Yeah. Rest in peace to the to the legend Iron Sheik. And, you know, we talked about Iron Sheik, you know, quite a minute times on this show because obviously when we do our wrestling segment, you know, Iron Sheik's name pops up a bunch. You know, whether he and his area where he was the transitional champion of uh having Hulk Hogan kinda of like starting out the whole Hulk Hogan in the WWF era. You know, whether he was doing his club challenges with different uh opponents. You know, whether it was in that team with Nikolai Volkov uh, saying mm-hmm. Iran rules all the time. You know, he pretty much around the 80s, he was, you know, Iron Sheik was a big deal pretty much everywhere he went. Pretty much like a main eventer everywhere we went. And fighting all the top stars everywhere he went too. So, he was definitely a prominent figure in the 1980s. And, uh, you know, for his passing, I just, we, you know, I thought we would talk a little about his career in the 80s. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of how, what we thought of the Iron Sheik. So, you know, before we get into the, the, some of his background in the 80s, Austin, you know, what, what, what comes to mind when you think of the Iron Sheik? Well, the first thing I think of, um, uh, well, the, originally the first thing I think of is, like, he's the guy that um, transitioned the title to Hulk Hogan. He, he helped create Hulkamania. Um, cause if it wasn't for him being the super heel that he was around that time, then Hulkamania may not have taken off like it did. But as I've gotten to know his career better and had under a lot more respect for him, um, just his, um, he was the real deal. Like he was like, he was truly an athlete, you know, like a lot, like, I guess most wrestlers from the eighties probably were. But there was nothing really fake about him. Like he, he actually was an athlete. Um, he was in the Iranian military, so he was he was a real badass. And he, uh, I think we've talked about it before. But him and Bachwinkle used to do those uh, Iranian the Iranian club challenge, and Bachwinkle was the only person that could do it, other than the Iron Sheik. Yeah, uh, where you take those huge clubs and you kind of juggle them around. Um, and then of course his Twitter feed, which wasn't written by him, but it was approved by him. Yeah. So all the J Browns became, yeah, the J Browns got kind of famous. Um, and my favorite story about Iron Sheik that I'd ever heard, um, somebody tell was when they were starting to do in the uh, WWF when they were starting to do the drug testing. Have you ever heard that story? Uh, yeah, about him and about uh, about him and the cocaine. Yeah, yeah, I heard that story before, but you can tell tell the him. Uh, it was it was saying when uh, they first started doing drug testing and he's uh and they were drug testing everybody and they came up to the iron sheik and they said uh, and he had he so he he had he truly did have broken english 
Like, like the way he speaks on television is, is kind of the way he really speaks. It wasn't really put on. So they came, so they, he come up to him. He's like, Hey, Sheik, you, uh, you know, you took your, you know, you, you got your drug test results back and it, it was, it was positive. And his response was, Oh, Sheik did good, huh? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just funny. It's just funny. Yeah. Like with, uh, you know, like, yes, the funny guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did good. Yeah. Um, but no, no, you were, you were positive for cocaine. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, he was a funny guy. I mean, I'd met him a couple of times late, you oh, know, wow. later in his career when he was doing indies and he was, he was super nice. You could tell he just didn't feel very good. Yeah. Um, you know, and this was, this was long before his famous, uh, I, well, famous to us, um, March to the ring for the legends battle Royal. Yes. Which, which took like 30 minutes for him to get there. Yeah. Um, that, that famous line by but, Bobby Heaton. By the time the sheik gets to the ring, it's gonna be WrestleMania forty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but check that out in the yeah, archives, I everybody. I mean, uh, though, uh, yeah, we, yeah, that is in the archives. Check that out. WrestleMania but, uh, seventeen, what is it, WrestleMania third, seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's WrestleMania seventeen that we did the review for. Lights out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I really liked him. Like, I I liked him um, as I became an adult and and got more into like the background of wrestling and learned about the history of wrestlers. Um, I really liked him a lot. Like I, you know, I feel like he deserved more out of this business than he got, probably. Yeah, I mean, he definitely was the the real deal. You know, when it comes to the physique, the training, um, the heel heat that he was getting at the time. You know, but you know, he didn't start off like that. He actually started off as like a just a normal baby face, even though he always had the Iran yeah. uh, like a shirt on. But he actually, if he saw if he saw like younger pictures of him. He looked like a, just a you know normal baby face cut dude, you know during that era of the seventies, and then it wasn't well, until till they got the idea to do the Iron Sheik to make him a little bit more of a heel, where we got the whole look that he's been known for the bald head and the mustache. Yeah, well, you got to think about history too, though. So at the time, up until nineteen seventy nine, seventy eight or seventy nine, we didn't look at Iran the way we do now as like the enemies of America or whatever, um, because they were, um, and uh, I know we're not a history podcast, but up until the Iranian revolution in 1978 or 79, whenever it was, basically Iran had like a, uh, had a Shah, the Shah of Iran that was basically installed by the United States. And, you know, he was basically, basically he was a gangster for the most part. Like he, you know, he, he, you know, it was like there was a huge difference in class between like poor Iranians and like the wealthy class. And um, we had basically taken over their government to put in like to put in like the shot to, to run the country the way we wanted it run. So before, you know, before like 1978, 79, 80, we thought of Iran as our allies and Iraq was like our enemies because they were Iran's enemies. Um and then that kind of changed, that kind of switched right after that. And then um, after they had the uh, the revolution and then the Ayatollah Khomeini came in and took over Iran. But like when that happened, like he I'm, I'm sure that's when, you know, the WWF or whoever he was with at the time to him said, hey, you could be the big, biggest heel in the world now that this thing has happened um, with the hostages and everything like that. Um, but yeah, so before that I could see how he would just be like a baby face. Like he would just be like a, an Olympic athlete kind of guy. Cause I think he, wasn't he an Olympic athlete in real life? Yeah. Yeah, he was. 
he was yeah, in, so. he was oh I think there's some debate about it, but he was an Olympic athlete, but he yeah. claims he won a gold medal, but I don't know if that's actually true <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that actually happened, but I but he did go to the Olympics as a wrestler, right? Yes. Yeah, and um he uh which is enough. I mean, you know, hey, you don't have to win a gold medal. I mean, if you just get selected for an Olympic team, I think that's that's good enough. You know, that's deserving of respect. And he, you know, he so I could see in the 70s how he would be pushed. He could be pushed as like this uh, you know, Iranian superstar athlete who's, you know, the super baby face and then switch to heel as soon as the hostages get taken in Iran. Yeah. But yeah. Um so a couple of things before we get into some of his eighties run. You know, he was um trained by Vern Gagne in that famous Vern Gagne's wrestling camp. Of course, you know, we have stars like uh, uh, uh Sergeant Slaughter, Ric Flair came out of that same training camp. Um yeah. and then like I said he was a baby face for a while until he until they uh, uh they they wanted to do a heel gimmick with him which they want to make him more like chic like a like a chic character and apparently the whole look mm-hmm. was helped uh helped they helped create it and Jimmy Snuka is the one that kind of helped create the whole look for him um but some of the first stuff he was doing around the 80s um very early in in, in 1980 he he would actually well it was like 1979 1980 he would actually compete for the World Wrestling Federation you know, the WWF part at the time. And apparently he made his debut with them in 1979, and he won the first ever Battle Royal in Madison Square Garden in New York City. This is pretty interesting because it earned him a title shot at then-champion Bob Backlund, but then Backlund pinned him later that night in a 30-minute battle. So this is, like, very early on in the Sheik's career, and... Apparently, one of the you know Bob Backlund was actually a really big uh, person he feuded with for a lot of his tenure in the eighties, and um, it was kind of known that like you know they had big matches, but Bob Backlund would always go over, except for one special night, which we'll get to. So he actually started like some of his early career, uh, early run also too in Jim Crockett promotions from nineteen eighty 1980 to nineteen eighty one. So he would uh, wrestle around there, and this is when the during that particular, that's when the uh, the he he played upon the uh, the the topics of Iran, like the hostage crisis that went on. So this is when yeah. he was really getting his heat going on because of that particular event that happened. So, and then later on, he would kind of like go to Mid South Championship Wrestling, where he, he feuded over there for a little bit. He would go to a Championship Wrestling from Florida. So we just all around different territories. He would go to Georgia Championship Wrestling from 1982 to 1983. Um, he would he win some titles like the National Television Championship. Um, and then he uh, his reign lasts there until 1983 when he lost to uh, retro blood legend Ronnie Garvin, brother. Ooh, yeah. So, But then he actually, when he was going doing all that for, for about three to four years, he would eventually return to the WWF. And this is when he would return to WF in 1983, and this is when he would challenge Bob Backlund for the for the the belt, the World Championship belt. Backlund accepted, and then on December 24th episode of All American Wrestling, um, Sheik um, he also did a uh, uh, he he accepted uh, Backlund accepted Sheik's uh, Persian Club challenge, and mm-hmm. during all this stuff, so Backlund was. He was trying to show that he could do this challenge because he's like the all-American hero. 
all right? And he was doing this challenge. And I never seen the videotape of this. But apparently what I've heard was he was doing his challenge. He had like, you know, gimmick. So the Sheik used those real clubs, you know, when he was doing his yeah. challenge. But back then was using like these gimmick ones. So apparently what was supposed to happen was one of these clubs was supposed to fall on his neck. Okay. To like have yeah. like the champion go injured into the title defense, you know, because um, that's what they like to do with their baby faces. Um, so yeah, yeah, you yeah, you don't want your heel to beat them clean. Yeah, exactly. So what happened was like something happened where like the spot didn't happen, and and back was like, oh shit, I gotta figure out something. So he just like he was like struggling like using these things the whole time. So what he does, he just picks them up really fast and drops them on his head mm. to cover it up. Drop the sheik on his head. No, 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 no. The clubs. Oh, so the oh, okay. so the clubs were gimmicked, but he was making them seem like they're the heaviest things in the world. Okay, right. while doing the challenge, and then he forgot to have him fall on his neck or something, or fall on his head, and then so he put him down, but then he quickly picked him right up, super easy, and then like did a spot where he <laughs> f- drops it on him. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. so he forgot to do the spot, and then he he tried yeah. to he tried to fix it by picking him back up. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So but then, then dropped him. So then that's why when he went into the uh, when they went into the actual match, that's why Sheik, you know, had that advantage. And that's why he won, and he got submitted and st- or he I didn't know he got submitted, but he uh, the the manager Arnold uh, Scotland he threw in the towel, and that's how Sheik yeah, that's became the champion. He- yeah, they forfeited the match. Yeah, and apparently everybody was pretty shocked because, you know, before this and even, you know, earlier in the 80s, you know, when they fought and stuff, Bakula would always come on top. But this was like something where people just weren't expecting because, you know, Bob Bakken has beat him, beat him before in the past. So so they had some, like, title matches throughout the show and everything. And throughout, like, you know, later on in the 80s. And then it was... Um, they were doing around January 24th, 1984. Two days later at Madison Square Garden. This is after January 21st, 21st, 1984. Two days later at Madison Square Garden, the Iron Sheik was scheduled to rematch Backlund, who was replaced by Hulk Hogan. Five minutes in, Sheik had Hogan locked in the camel clutch. Hogan powered to his feet was still on his, with, with Sheik still on his back. Rammed him backwards into the turnbuckle and hit the atomic leg drop for the pin and the championship. This number is generally considered the launch of Hulkamania. So he was, you know. Yes. So it, it was really perfect of how it kind of like worked out. So you had the the 70s going into some of the 80s. WWF babyface hero Bob Blacken, who pretty much took the throne from Bruno Sammartino. And, mm-hmm. you know, but we got this guy, Hulk Hogan. We just signed him. You know, Hulk Hogan, he's done, he did Rocky III. Uh, he made it a huge impact uh, when it comes to working in the AWA. You know, this guy's hot right now. But Bob Backlund, you know, he's he, we like him, but, you know, we, we, we need something bigger. You know, we this is going away from Vince McMahon Sr.'s dream to Vince McMahon Jr.'s dream. And Vince McMahon Jr. likes the big jacked up dudes. You know what I mean? that can carry the territory mm-hmm. coming in the 80s. And what better way to get the belt off this one American baby face and then put it on this newer style American baby face and use the Iranian heel to do it. So, Well, you had to do it that way, right? Yeah, He, he could have done it any other way because you couldn't have, you know, the way the way that people thought about wrestling in the 80s is you couldn't have 
like you didn't really have uh, here uh, uh, faces fighting each other at all. Um, so you basically it, you couldn't you you could either have Backlund turn heel, which is you can't do because he's the all American boy. Yeah. Um, and you know, or you have Hogan be your heel, but you want, but if Hogan had beat Backlund, he would have been a heel instantly. Yeah. So you so you have the Sheik become the champion by beating Backlund. Um, and he only held that title for like a month or three weeks or something, right? Yeah, like, it wasn't, wasn't that it like long. the day, like it was like right after Christmas when he won that title, and then in January, wasn't it in January when Hogan won it? Yeah, yeah. So it couldn't have been more than like three weeks or so. Um, and then, but you know that that was definitely the launch of uh, Hulkamania. And then there's of course that rumor that keeps going around where the yeah. sheet claims that uh, um, Ganya. Uh, um, was offered him a hundred thousand dollars to break Hulk Hogan's leg, and he wouldn't do it. Yes, and then of course you know Greg Gagne disputes that claim, but that's what Iron Sheik he always yeah. claims that that's that's what happened, and obviously he didn't do yeah, it. And I, I believe him. I believe him. I think he, I think Vern's just trying to. I mean, not, I think Greg's just Greg Gagne's just know, trying to cover I, for his dad. I can believe him too because you know lose. So the, we talked about AWA before on this podcast. Um, check it out in the archives. But, you know, losing Hulk Hogan from the AW was a huge blow to them. And the, the biggest reason that happened was because Vern wasn't paying Hulk Hogan, you know, a lot of his royalties that he was bringing in. You know, yeah. Hulk Hogan might have stayed with Vern if Vern actually, you know, did his commitments and paid him what he was worth. But then, you know, Vern at the time just didn't think, you know, like, I, I want to keep Hulk Hogan, but, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay him these extra stuff. And that's well, how Hulk Hogan pretty much left and like all these bookings happened that he was advertised yeah. for. And then there he goes. That's absolutely true. Plus at the same time, he was a, you know, Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon Jr. Uh, Vince Kennedy McMahon were about to get really, really rich yeah. off of something that Vern could have thought he invented in AWA. Cause he kind of did. I mean, he, he invented the incredible Hulk. You know, Hulkamania kind of started in AWA a little bit. Um, not to the extent that it got, but a little bit it did. Um, but at the same time, if you look at, look at it, if if uh, Vince McMahon Sr. had allowed Hulk Hogan to go make that movie, he probably wouldn't have left the first time he was there. So it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, pretty much. So a couple of things that uh, the Sheik was doing. So he had this uh, brief uh, feud with Sergeant Slaughter, which is actually known to be one of his highlight matches and feuds of his career because they had that very famous boot camp rules match, which is like a very yes. violent match at the time, especially for like the WWF. It was a very violent match that you don't really see a lot during this era. Um, so that one's definitely fun. I hope maybe if I could find that one, I'll play it on the, the Facebook page, brother. Get that one going. Mm -hmm. uh, majority of his 80s career too, he was teaming up with Nikolai Volkov. And he had the, uh, the his manager, uh, Classy Freddie Bassley, and they won the WF World Tag Team belts from the UX Express, Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda, at the first WrestleMania at Madison Square Garden, when uh, when he knocked out Windham from behind with Blasty's cane. So, and this is when they had the gimmick where they would come out, bro. These guys got some heat when they came out, like Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik would just this guy got super heat, like. 
he would come out there and he would try to like sing the uh the Iranian national anthem <laughs> and yeah. stuff like Iran rules, Iran rules. Like these people were going crazy. We had yeah. the Soviet national anthem that um that Nikolai Volkov too did. It's just fuck, bro. It's like, it, it's, yeah, it's, the, I, I love the whole uh when he would come out and he, he would say Iran number one, USA, and then he would do the spitting thing. We go. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Like the real fake spitting, like it was so good. Yeah, Iran <laughs> number great. one, Russia number one, USA spit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So he also got uh, some heat in, uh, in his interviews with Mean Gene by conducting that he demands, "Hey, cameraman, zoom in," as he flexed his muscles. Uh, and he would always mm. call it call him Gene Mean. Yeah, Gene Mean. <laughs> Gene Mean. Yeah, that was. I mean, he was just a funny guy. Yeah, it was, even it was as great. a heel, he was funny. Yeah, it just we it just weird. Like you can't really do that like nowadays. You know, I guess they're kind. They kind of do that a little bit with uh, Gunther, but you don't really get like kind the of, you don't yeah. really get like the. Hey, I'm the foreign heel, and I'm going to say how great my foreign country is that you all American boys don't like. That's like that's not really like since we're all connected, kind of now. Yeah. Like it, it, it just it seems like that gimmick is like if somebody is doing it, it's very like old school, basically. Yeah, nothing is nothing is foreign anymore. Like you know, yeah. I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, because you know how people always talk about Vietnam and like when people would go to Vietnam, they were like, well, I don't even know where Vietnam is. Like, how could you not? Like, that's just weird to think about now that you wouldn't know where Vietnam was. Like, you maybe you can't find it on a map, but you know, it, most people probably know it's in Asia. You know, like most people probably know where Iran where Iran is, but like they probably didn't know then. Um, you know, because so he was, you know, it was like this uh, strange, exotic, foreign, weird, weird place that this guy's from. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? I think I lost my track of thought. Um, Gene Mean, we mentioned that. Um, oh, I got one for you. So yeah, go ahead. I'll, as, I'll as, we get, as we get as we get a deeper. Into the eighties, you know our boy Shiki boy over here, he liked the party. Okay. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, and no. there was one famous story where uh, Sheik was about to be in a pretty much like a blood feud at the time. Even though I guess WWF didn't really have blood feuds, but they had a, a big rival. They were supposed to hate each other. It was supposed to be the mm-hmm. the, the good old American hacksaw Jim Duggan. It's supposed to be the face of the the evil Iranian man uh, Iron Sheik. And they're building up this program. They're building up this program. And story has it where I guess the Sheik didn't have a ride one night. So he needed to get a ride from Jim Duggan. And <laughs> it was in May 1987. Good old month of May. Uh, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and his, his on-screen rival, uh, Sheik, they were pulled over by the New Jersey oh, State I Police. Oh, I remember this story. Yes. Yeah, I remember the story. This is great. On their way to a WWE event, so they suspected Duggan <laughs> of being drunk because he has a, or maybe not drunk, but like under the influence, DUI. Yeah. Uh, after yeah. a search of the vehicle and and the persons, the police discovered that Duggan was under the influence of marijuana, while the Sheik was high on cocaine, brother. Small amounts of cocaine were also found in the vehicle. Duggan received a con- uh, a conditional release, where the Sheik was placed under prohibition for a year. The mini scandal erupted after the two in-ring enemies were found drinking and doing drugs together, led to the end of the angle. So basically, they're building up this big angle, 
And, you know, nowadays, like, we all, like, you know, we see bad guys and good guys, like, take photos with their shelf on Twitter. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. one of those things where, like, you don't really like to see it because you're just like, come on, bro. You like, you guys are supposed to hate each other. You're all hanging out and having beers. But, you know, we know how it really is. You know, back in the day, though, you know, there wasn't, like, you know, social media or people posting pictures on the internet or nothing like that. Nothing like that. So what you're watching on TV is that's that's what you think of these people. So you think, okay, the Sheik doesn't like this fucking uh, American guy or an American guy doesn't like the Sheik. Next thing you know, you read a newspaper article, you see you see on the television, yeah, these two motherfuckers were getting drunk and, and, and fucking getting high in their car together, having a good old time. So Yeah, that that wasn't done then. So back yeah. back then you didn't Well, like I yeah, I mean that they, I mean, they're lucky they didn't get fired. They did get for, fired for even doing that. On Iran, okay, they did get fired. All yeah. right, but uh, but that makes sense because I, I can remember like Jim well, Cornette telling well, a story about how he went to Carowinds, yeah, and Ricky Morton was there and he left because he didn't want to accidentally be seen in the same place as Ricky Morton. Yeah. So, so when I said they they did get fired, but they were back like the hacksaw was back in like two months. Okay. Right. So at the time, it's like Vince was like, "I ain't gonna hire these people, people and all they killed these angles." Next thing you know, they all come back. So right. once it kind of died down a little bit. So before the Sheik's release from the company, he and Volkov had defeated the Killer Bees, jumping uh, Jim Brunzel and B. Brian Bear by by disqualification at WrestleMania three in front of you know the Pontiac Zimmerdome. When Duggan had hit, uh, had hit the Sheik from behind with his two point, you know, his is 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 a piece of wood. And uh, mm-hmm. after Sheik's arrest, he worked in house shows against Jim Duggan until leaving the WF in October 1987. So after this, uh, you know, he's probably just hanging out. And then he apparently had a second return to the WF around 1988, which is pretty close to the movie we're going to be reviewing. So on February 18, 1988, the, Sh- the Iron Sheik returned to the WF and defeated S.D. Jones on a house show at Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. She continued to wrestle on house shows in February and March, beating Lanny Palfo and Ken Batero. Oh, so we could have, you know, if we're, if we're counting the uh, uh, the Blue Monkey release, because the, that movie was released in March, we could have saw the Iron Sheik versus Lenny Poffo. I mean, yeah. talk about putting butts yeah. in seats, brother. I mean, shit. Exactly. That would have been as exciting as this uh, as this movie. Yeah. Apparently, though, there was a match between him and Bam Bam Bigelow. That would have been fucking awesome. Yeah. I have a feeling Bam Bam got the majority of that one, but yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. That would have been cool. Bam Bam was great. So apparently... The Iron Sheik, he would not appear on television until July 30th when he defeated Scott Casey in a match that aired on primetime wrestling. So basically, he was working most of the time, but he uh, uh, was mostly doing like house shows. It wasn't on their primetime wrestling channel. So Sheik continued to wrestle that summer, facing uh, Casey in rematches, as well as Richard Carland and the Red Rooster in house shows. And the Iron Sheik had also cut promos to challenge then-world champion Macho Man Randy Savage, but nothing came of it. Ultimately, the return was short-lived. He left again in July of that year. So, all the way around. And then he would basically, he would go on to, to, to wrestle in WCCW, AWA, the WW, WWC. And then, going into the 90s, he was wrestling in World Championship Wrestling. Um, again, and he would be on some of their uh, TV tape scenes. And 
He would he would he would appear later the month in the corner of Simons in the Cuban assassin the victory over Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert. On August 26, Simon and Sheik were guests of Polly Dangerous's Dangerous Zone, where he admitted that he was now training Simons and was looking for a tag team partner for him. The angle was eventually dropped, and Simmons went on to team with Butch Reed as Doom, while Sheik finished his initial WCW tenure in house show matches against Norman in January 1990. So, you know, his career, you know, you can see it's up and down. Um, you know, when I think of the Iron Sheik, you know, I would say majority of his success was probably in the WWF. Yeah, I would say you're right. That's pretty much where he kind of hit his strive. Um, I do remember seeing some stuff in like you know, World Championship Wrestling that he did okay in, but I would say majority of the '80s when we're thinking about Iron Sheik, you know, we definitely will see him um, uh, in WF more because I because a couple episodes we did, um, you know, we talked about it before was uh, when Iron Sheik appeared for the first time for the Texas Territory WCCW. You know, they always made it out to be a big deal. Yeah. But he was never... He just fit a lot better in, like, the WWF at the time. Just the way he was. So... But, you know... Yeah, and he probably did pretty well. Yeah. I was going to say, he probably did pretty well financially, too. Oh, yeah. You know, even though he was never a huge star, he was a good heel. And he was... One thing I remember about him specifically is he was, like, um, the main focus or one of the main focuses of the... uh, Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling cartoon. Yeah. Which which I watched when I was a little kid. Which I would love to have that on. They should put that on the Peacock. Surely they own the rights to that, right? They should put that on the Peacock. I mean, I'm surprised um, if it's not but, on there. Uh, yeah, I know. Or no, there's no DVD release or nothing. But um, but yeah, like he was he was one of the main characters in that. And they, he probably got royalties from that and all the action figures that they were selling at the time. Because um, that's around the time that wrestling action figures started to become a thing um but yeah yeah but definitely. Yeah, I, I, good career good career um you know Are no you? hulk hogan but who is yeah i mean like you know through like i said we mostly talk about his age career obviously he became more of a um, pop culture figure you know later on probably during like the 2000s and stuff when he was on the howard stern show you know going off and doing True. that famous interview where you just curse the storm up <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, during the eighties, yeah. you know, he was a draw. Like, if you need to put a baby face, you know, hero against a villainous hill, and you can get decent matches, you know, Iron Sheik was definitely on top, and he was definitely a big star. Like, you know, he went all the territories, and he probably main evented everywhere too. So, yeah, huge shout out to the and Iron Sheik. He- so. <laughs> Sorry, and he lived to be eighty-one, which yeah. in wrestling terms, that's not something that happens all the time. Yes. Yeah, a lot of those true. guys live 50, 60 years old, and that's about it. But, yeah, he lived to be 81. So, uh, shout-out to the Iron Sheik. Definite, definite legend. We'll never forget him. Never forget him. Yeah, watch the documentary. There's a documentary yeah. called uh, Sheik. Oh, and yeah, also, I too, Sheik, right? uh, watch yeah. his uh, YouTube um, shoot interviews, too. I mean, yeah, you talk about so. hours and hours of entertainment from this guy. It's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, just listening to him talk. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and and his, uh, his appearance on Howard Stern was fantastic, too. Check those out. <laughs> so, you know, speaking around something that happened around the the, uh, the release of uh, Blue Monkey, which the uh, the release date was on, on uh, VHS, brother, around March 31st, 1988. Um, about 18 days before this movie came out, we would actually have a new song 
that would come out by one Iron Maiden. Oh. The band that we never talk about on this show ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's might as well just become a segment on this show about Iron Maiden. But uh, yeah, yeah, you must be, you have to be talking about Can I Play With Madness? Yes. The EP, brother. Can Mm. I Play With Madness? Now, some interesting facts about this EP. So it came out March 20th, 1988. You know, this is from the album that, which we talked about before, The Seven Sons of the Seventh Son. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about this one is, you know, obviously we, we'll play the, the song Can I Play With Madness um, at the end of the show. But this one actually had two songs on it. We had a uh, side one, side two. Oh, we had two, two parts on side. We had two parts on side one. <laughs> And then one part on side two. So. Okay. So the other two songs are, and I actually listened to this. You can find it on YouTube. And, you know, I was going to talk about this before, before I get into it. You know, I always like, like, EPs, you know? Because, like, wh- sometimes they'll, they'll release, like, you know, the main, like, you know, kind of like a song that kind of gets you hyped for the album. But then the, they'll release, like, these, like, random, like, B tracks that you don't find on the album at all. And some of them could be like really good, you know. I think um, yeah, a lot of times when I think of EP in my fandom, I always think about the uh, Nine Snails of how they release their EPs. You know, they they would name all the Halos, but then they release like an EP and stuff, and they'll have all these like extra stuff on them that are like really good. And you know, a, yeah. a lot of bands do that, um, but I always remember them them like specifically doing that. Um, but the ones on here, have you ever heard the song Black Bart Blues? No, so I have oh. I, I don't have the single, and I haven't heard the the B sides that are on this. I mean, obviously, I've heard "Can I Play with Madness." So, um, so before you talk about it, let me ask a couple of questions. Now that you said that, this sprang something in my mind. So, is this an Iron Maiden original? Did did the band members write this song? Okay, so I'll t- I'll tell you a little about that. You you probably you probably okay. enjoy this. So, "Black Bar Bruise" is a song by the English heavy metal band Iron Maiden. It appears on this. Okay. We talked about that. The song is about so this the song is made by Iron Maiden, and the song is okay. about a suit of armor that rode uh, in yes. the back of the la- back of the lounge of the band's tour bus named Black Bart. Yes. Vocalist Bruce Dixon tells that he, his bandmates, and their tour manager were driving in a Ford Thunderbird through Florida in 1983. Would have been right there, brother. When they passed the gas station with three suits of armor standing outside. Dickinson stopped the car and went to buy one of the three suits of armor that were on sale. The song lyrics details are rather... And also, too, not only is it about that, but the song also, like... You gotta hear the song, too. It's kind of like... It's a little strange. The song lyrics also details a rather infamous story in which a girl stumbled onto the band's tour bus and struck a deal with one of the band members that she give them oral sex in, in exchange for alcohol. And That's Good trade-off. Yeah, and the song is basically kind of like that. Like, you can hear a drunk woman in the background while they're playing the whole huh. intermits and everything. So, it's a, it's, a, it's a neat song. I would say it's like one of their best songs, but it's definitely like... It's like an extra you know what I mean? It's like an extra yeah, song yeah, you can listen ex- to. Yeah, Iron Maiden had a lot of tracks like that that were like uh, that were like extras. Like you know, they were kind of songs, but they were just kind of like funny comedy type songs. Yes. But uh, yeah, I was as soon as you mentioned Black Bart Blues, I was going to ask because I know that they had that suit of armor in the tour bus that they call Black Bart. Um, 
So I was wondering if it had anything to do with that, but I guess it did. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine that uh, Bruce Dickinson must have been like really, really, really shit-faced when he went and bought that suit of armor. You're probably. <laughs> uh, I could imagine. But um, but yes, yeah, so you listen to that. Did you listen to the uh, you listen to the actual Can I Play With Madness single? What did you think yes. of that? So, you know, obviously I heard that song before, Can I Play With Madness. The, like I said, the Black Bar Blues was kind of throwing me off a little bit because... You know, I'm not I'm not <laughs> yeah. like an avid listener of of Iron Maiden like you are. So I was just kind of like I was like, okay, this is like a funny like they're you know it's like a kind of like a comedy thing going on in their in their songs. And usually, like to me, like they have more of like a we talked about this like like power metal like we're going to battle type of songs, you know. And the next thing I know, there's yeah, this drunk yeah. girl on here saying, oh, oh, this and this. So I thought that was kind of different. Um, the weirdest part, though, to me, of the album was, like, I'm not sure if it was, like, a transition or something, but, like, when they, like, transitioned to, like, the cover of Massacre that they did by Thin Lindsay, there's, like, all this, like, extra, like, like band talking and stuff while they're, like, about to play the song. And it's all, like, just, like, goof. They're, like, goofing off. It's, like, it's like basically, it's, like, let's say we're going to record a song, and we just press record, and we're like goofing off for a little bit, and then we just go right into the song. Yeah, so it's, it's made like, to sound like they're just like in the rehearsal space or yeah. whatever, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and like doing like these goofy jokes and stuff. It was just very strange, but it, it was you know it was good. Well, that's I was gonna say that kind of fits their personalities though. Like yeah. you know they have all this music that's about like, um. I guess you would say serious things, you know, like t- about going into battle and about World War II and all kinds of stuff like that. But they always had a really big sense of humor about it. Cause like, you know, like in, uh, on the uh, live after death album, like, you know, right before they play revelations, you know, he's, which is like about like, um, you know, the, the last book of the Bible or whatever. Um, Bruce, Bruce says something about, he's like, some people think it's about this and some people think it's about that. He's like, I think it's just about opening up a pair of curtains. He's like, this is called Revelations. So it's just like they have, they've always had like um, a kind of a really really good sense of humor about their music. Like they try not to take it too seriously. Um, but yeah, they've uh, uh, they're they're really good at having funny B sides. Though they have a lot of them actually. Yeah. So it was good though. Like I like you know I, I could tell like when I was listening to it. You know, if you're a fan of Iron Maiden, you know you would definitely like the. Uh, the little extra songs that they have on there. I thought it was pretty pretty entertaining. So, But that's what we'll be listening to on our way to Allison's rent Renner Center to buy us some Blue Monkey VHS tape. To rent Blue Monkey. To rent Blue Monkey. Imagine renting this shit. Like, would you be disappointed? <laughs> I have to say I probably would. Uh, you know. Like, Although the ending was kind of cool, but... There's just not a lot to this. There's just not a lot yeah. going on. There's not a lot of there there is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah, there wasn't a whole lot going on. So but let's get into it. Let's get into who booked this shit, brother. Alright. So it was booked or directed by William <laughs> Forrett. Alright. And when I was doing a little bit of the research about his career, he kinda like so he did like a couple stuff like he did Death Weekend which is also known by the House by the Lake um he did um before this he did like Bedroom Eyes Killer Party 
So he's done like little little less well-known horror movies during this time. And a lot of like thrillers and dramas and stuff. And so he, he picked up on this one. And, you know, some of the stuff he did right outside the 90s that I thought was semi-interesting. He did, um, he did uh, uh, direct some episodes of Goosebumps later yeah, on in okay. the 90s. So I thought that was kind of cool. But like he, he's pretty much was kind of known for doing like the, the drama type of shows, um, and he uh, he did uh, this movie. He won a reward for this movie that he directed in 1972 called Wedding in White. It's a drama, and he actually won a reward for that one. So, you know, we got he got the drama part down because you know we have to have drama in all our movies, even though like Blue Monkey didn't really have that much drama. You know what I mean? No, so. no, it really didn't. Or much story, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the film, um, let's see what we got here. So, some of the productions. Did he write this movie? Uh, I don't believe so. Let's see if we got no, the writer. No. Yeah, it was written by yeah. uh, George Goldsmith and um, pretty much George Golds- Goldsmith. And yeah. I, I don't really do I know it. that uh, William Pruitt made this movie called Spasms. In like the early '80s, that we might do at some point. That's pretty good, and he wrote that and directed it. Um, that's about all I know from his career. That's all. That's about the only movies that he's seen that he's done that I've seen, other than this one. Yeah, obviously. So this one was like a, uh, a Canadian uh, uh, film mm-hmm. and Canadian budget for everything. And apparently, so this was a part of a three-picture deal between Sandy Howard and RCA Columbia. The other films were... It's, what? Say it again. I was going to ask a question. Sandy Howard. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not... Never mind. That's not who I'm thinking of. Different person. Continue on. Yeah, this one was a um, film producer, television producer. Um, they did a... Um, they did the Howdy Doody show. Oh. It was... Exciting. Yeah, the, this was a credit. They were like a director. So, it was like a three... It was part of like a three-picture deal. Okay. Do you want to know who the other two yeah. films were? So we have uh, one of one of them is Dark Tower. I know yeah. that, but that's it's not, also a really but, good movie that we'll probably do one day. But that, that's not the uh, that's not you know the uh, the is it Stephen King's Dark Tower? No, this is made in the eighties. Yeah. This is a movie about um, a building that people are trapped in. It's it's a good movie. Okay. Yeah, it looks pretty fun. Also on Tubi. Oh, there you go. Maybe we'll do. People trapped in buildings month. People trapped. In, yeah, we need to do that. We need to do people trapped in buildings yeah. month. That'd be great. Then we got Nightstick. You have the remind. You, you have the right. Movie? Yeah, it's Nightstick. Okay. You have the right to remain <laughs> silent. It's about, a, it's about a dirty cop, brother. It's a it's a it's a Canadian American made for television action film. All right. So, bro, that, that one looks pretty fun, though. I can just imagine that that's like a movie made by Canadians about what they think American cops are like. So the plot is like very, it's like there's like barely anything on here. It says, it's, this guy named Jack is a renegade cop assigned by his boss, Theodad, to ward off a group of terrorists. Fantastic. Yeah, that's such a 1980s uh, movie. So, Renegade Cop versus Terrorists. Yes. 
Bro, I bet that movie is fantastic. I kind of want to see it now. Uh, so the movie received a 30% tax benefit because it was a shot in Canada, which we talked about those all the time. It was actually shot yeah. in Toronto. And it used uh, mostly Canadian talent. The original title was Green Monkey. Oh, oh, excuse me. Oh, Green Monkey. Okay, sorry. But it was. Please t- tell me you're making that up. No, but here, here's why. Here's why. Check this out. So the original title was Green Monkey, but it was changed because of a theory at the time that AIDS was started by infective and African green monkeys. So they changed it to Blue Monkey because yes. they didn't want to get into the AIDS uh, epidemic. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, whatever. So, so that kind of makes sense, but still. Like, there wasn't even fucking monkey. Unless I'm, like, missing something. No. When did they change it to insect? Well, I think that was, like, the like a working title that they had for a while was insect. But oh, then, like, okay. I'm trying I'm trying to find some research, but there's nothing I could find of why they actually changed the shit to be a monkey. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see what we could find. <laughs> so the story, the, the story was an idea of Stanley Howard's and was inspired by the success of Aliens, which we kind of talked about at the beginning there's a um there's a really funny review did you look it up on imdb there's a really funny review there that kind of oh no it up do you have it in front of you or no yeah i, I do <laughs> Are you gonna it's, read it? it's just it just listed it just says the title says it all and then the guy <laughs> writes after you've heard the name blue monkey you start to wonder what does it mean well you already know the answer to that it's a campy horror flick with no meaning or no talent involved whatsoever its title is as meaningless and as pointless as the movie itself. It was originally called Green Monkey. The title was changed to Blue Monkey. Big improvement. Bad special effects and poor filming all add up to make this one of the worst movies Hollywood has ever seen. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really argue with any of that shit on there. It's uh, I mean, not the talent part. There's some good oh, actors. No, in it. Yeah. Steve Rails back was in it. Yeah, I mean he was back. You know he's a. We talk about him on Retro Blood quite a bit. He was in Life Force. Yes, Life Force. I believe, and he yeah, and he played Charles Manson. And then there's there's some good actors in it. Yeah. Um he was on Trick or Treats. He was on Trick or Treats. Yeah, Remember that um, guy? John Vernon is in this. He was the boyfriend yes. that was like super creepy. Remember he was the boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check that um, one in the live. Check check that one out in the fucking uh, archives. You guys will archives. be entertained yeah. by that one. Um, but yeah, he did. Uh, John Vernon is in this. He's a great actor. Yeah, yeah, they have he good talent. The, like everything uh, was the, active. The very corporate well. hospital guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, everything was acted well. It just like it was just like okay, we're we're here. This is what we're doing. So yeah, it, it's almost like they created this giant insect. And then okay, let's make a movie around this. Yeah, pretty much. And then that's that's and we and you know, did you see that movie Aliens that came out a couple of years ago? Let's do something kind of like that. Although it's actually more like the original Alien than it is Aliens, but yeah, yeah, it's, but yeah. it's a it's a very similar plot line. Yeah, we'll put it that way. Yeah, on certain parts, yes. Yeah. But everybody, let's get into it. Let's get into the full review of Blue Monkey, aka Insect. At 7 p.m., County Memorial Hospital was placed under a Class 4 quarantine alert. I've never seen any strain of bacteria with a configuration like this. It's not what's gotten into their patients that worries them. It's what's getting out. Oh, my God. It's one of a kind. i got to get closer. 
So we start off the, the movie by meeting like this old lady. She's like spraying shit, like playing shit around. And mm-hmm. the girl's name is like Marella. And she is, she's meeting with like uh, this like electric repair man. And his name is Fred. And they're like, they're like semi flirting with each other. <laughs> and she has like yeah. this like very like greenhouse around there. And he was, Fred was over there just to doing, fixing some light fixtures and stuff. And he's comment, he comments a little bit on how her, her plants are dropping a little bit. And then he like, looks at this like odd looking plant with yellow flowers. And then according to Maruela, it came from newly formed volcanic islands off the coast of my, uh, was it micro, micro, Micronesia. Micronesia. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, shit. So uh, and then which are like they're like yeah. they're like a set of islands like yeah. off the Pacific coast, but yeah, yeah. And she said like basically in the current state is happening overnight. She she gets lost for rides like doing that. So then they start flirting a little bit with each other. It's like oh, it was like what do I owe you? It's like oh, you don't owe me thing. The only thing you owe me is dinner on Friday night. And then she was like all good. And so he went to go touch the plant, and it kind of cuts him. He starts to feel a little yeah. sick. And then he gets out of there and he starts having like outside by his truck. So it looks like he's having like a little bit of a heart attack. He falls down. Then Marwella sees him. And then we cut to the clinic that we're going to be in for pretty much majority of the movie. So now he's at the, uh, the clinic now. And the doctor, Judith, she is asking Marwella, you know, you know, what happened? Like, he got cut and everything with the plants. He's like, okay, well, I could tell you about the plants. He's like, okay, well, I kind of need you to get out of this room right now. We got to go take a look at him, make sure he's okay. So while all this is happening, then they get rushed in with these two detectives. And one of the detectives, Oscar, basically got shot. And then we make another d- detective named Jim. And Jim is, like, freaking mm-hmm. out. He's like, my partner's shot and everything. He needs medical help right now. I need a doctor. I need a doctor. So this girl named Rachel comes up to him. He's like, I need a fucking doctor, not an M- MDR and shit. And she's like, well, I am a doctor. Ouch. I was like, damn. Starting off hot, mm-hmm. brother. And he starts apologizing yeah, a little bit. With the, yes. Yeah. 
the woman doctor, right? Women, yeah. <laughs> Damn. So, so then they start, you know, taking a little bit care of Oscar, and Oscar just like freaking out, like he basically thinks he's gonna die. And they try to like, you know, figure out what's going on with him, and they need a little bit more information. So during all this stuff, um, while they while they're about to get more information from Jim, uh, this is when Fred he starts spazzing mm-hmm. out and shit. And then they all like look at him, and like there's like this big giant like white slug that comes yeah, out of yeah. his. Oh, gee, where did they get that one from? Except it didn't come out of his belly; it came out of his mouth. No, it just came out of his mouth. Yeah. yeah. So they're like kind of looking Good. at it, and then they take the little slug looking thing, and they give it off to somebody to go do some test on it. They gotta get it examined. So now uh, Rachel is now checking on Jim, and. So now, like, now, they, they, they don't know. The hospital doesn't know if this thing is, like, can affect everybody. So now Judith and Rachel, they, like, check people who are all in the room. So Rachel is checking on Jim, saying, like, okay, yeah, everything looks good. You look good. And Jim, now, now he's trying to be, like, sly. He's like, well, who's going to check you, doctor? And she's like, mm, she's, like, she's, like, she's like, not a detective. Oh, okay. I see. So we, got some, <laughs> we got some 80s flirting over here, brother. So now, now the Rachel wants to know some stuff. What happened to the partner? And he's basically saying like, "Well, we were at the stakeout, and basically they got caught in some crossfire at the stakeout." And then like he, so apparently the where they're at is like a newly formed clinic, hospital. So mm-hmm. Jim wasn't too sure what this place was because it didn't look like a normal clinic's you know, hospital, because, you know, most clinic places are a little small, but this one's, like, huge. And so he wasn't sure what this was, so this is just, like, the closest medical, local medical facility that he could find. All right? You didn't get the joke? Okay. So, uh, he... No, I get it. I get it. I get it. That was a good one. Local... Okay, never mind. That's gonna go... I got uh, it. I got it. So, so then Rachel's pretty much explaining to him, like, you know, we don't see a lot of gunshot victims over here, so everybody's going to be talking about this. So we're kind of building up some of the characters. Um, so now they're, like, looking around the place, and um, so he's asking, like, you know, I've never seen, like, a clinic like this before. And she's saying, well, this clinic used to be a old insane asylum. All right. And she's like, hey, do you want to go check out something? I'm going to show you something about in the future. Like, the future of medicine is in this room over here that I'm going to show you. So she she brings him yeah. to, my notes could <laughs> put, the laser room. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. They they have a laser room, the room yeah. with lasers. Because they, got- they took over an old insane asylum. Yeah. And they have lasers in it now. So this clinic is trying lasers. to be... They're trying to be like a like a before it's time or res you know kind of like a, uh, a clinic before it's time. They're trying to yeah. figure out by lasers of how they can <laughs> help DNA and RNA and muscular and all the shit MDAs and shit, and which I'm pretty sure yeah, we have nowadays and it's a lot smaller. Yeah, it's experimental. Okay, yeah, like experimental, experimental yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. So then we have all these people, and remember this for later. Okay, so we're in the laser room, and everybody in the laser room has to wear like those suits, like those like full colored suits, you know, like the what yeah, do you call the laser them? suits? Laser suits, like not like laser tag and shit like that, but like you know the 
the the chemical full body suits. Yeah, yeah. So they test her laser on like this huge vial, and the shit blows up. And she's like, "Well, you know, it's a work in progress." All right, but remember all that for later. All right. So now Jim's hanging outside. He wants to know what's happening with his with his um, with his partner Oscar. And then his kids come up to him, and his kids like, "Hey, you got a gun on you?" He's like, "Can I see it?" And then this, the doctor comes in, kind of brushes the kids away, and she's basically saying that main kid Joey over there, um, he's like very brave because the kid has le- leukemia. No, 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 no. That's not how that happened. <laughs> so I was probably I was probably not supposed to laugh at this part, but I thought it was. I, I don't know why I couldn't help myself. Because he's like, um, they they come up to him, and he says, um, the kid comes up to him and he talks to to Jim, and he says, um, they ask him if he has a gun or whatever, and he's like, yeah, he's like, can I see it? He's like, no, and then he, the kid's like, why are you here? Why are you in here? And and he's like, um, he's like, oh my, because he, he, he thought he was gonna have this tragic story or whatever, and he's like, oh my partner got shot. Why are you in here? And the kid's like leukemia and then it's just look on his face like oh i shouldn't have said that well they're also going back and forth of like you know he he said like you know he's a detective and stuff and it went over the kid's head so yeah Mm -hmm. but then like the the rachel nurse kind of brushes him off and says yeah those kids getting into everything but she says she feels really bad for joey because the kid got the cancer and they just parents just left him there i was like fuck that is pretty sad yeah that is so now they, 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 you know, so after this, you know, Jim kind of wants them to check on Oscar to see how he's doing because he he hasn't seen Oscar since he's gone into surgery and he just kind of wants an update on him. Uh, so now we have Judith. Judith is now meeting with uh, Marwell. And Marwell, you know, just, they're, they're, they have her in isolation just to make sure none of that uh, slug spurs got on her. And she's talking mm-hmm. to her. And then we meet... Allison's favorite character of the movie, Dee Dee. Dee Dee. Dee Dee's an old great. blind woman coming there raising mm-hmm. havoc. All right. And the favorite line I had from her when she was telling Judith, she's like, Judith's like, well, you, know, you can't be in here because this is the isolation room. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I must have missed it. Because, you know, she's blind. Because <laughs> she's blind. <laughs> and then and then she's like, well, you can't be in here. Martha has to be in isolation. She's like, well, Martha's in isolation. So that means she needs some company. I was like, yes. Okay. So That's they get exactly her. what that means. So they get her out of there. Okay. Uh-huh. Because, you know, they want them to get her exposed to the infection that could be there. So now they're checking. Now they're all most of the main cast are in the uh, the room and they're checking on the slug. And they figured out that this slug has like a shell on it. So there's something inside. But when they start mm-hmm. doing their photo, their 1980s photographs, they can't see that shit. Mm-hmm. I bet nowadays we can see it. Oh yeah. Well, but back in the day, they live brother. in the future now. Exactly. So and they're also saying that a lot of the uh, the Fred and stuff the the calcium the calcium is very high in his body. So this is when we meet Roger. He is like the head of the clinic, and of course he has to be evil. You know what I mean? Like or like the, you know he wasn't like he was kind of a dick, but he wasn't really like evil. I was expecting him to be like the evil you know boss who like planned the whole thing and it. You know, didn't go arrive, and he fucked up everything. In the end, he's trying to do it for a quick buck, but he wasn't really like that. He was just like kind of like a dick, but he was just trying to cover everything up, basically. 
So he shows up and they're they're you know they're talking about basically so the the head nurse the head doctor is, is Judith the one with the glasses and he's asking like you know hey you know I heard there's this guy came in here he had like a cut and stuff and he had this thing going on and might have be airborne like what are we doing to cover this up she's like well I'm gonna give it to the uh, LISD and she's like whoa 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 <laughs> you don't need to give it to them okay <laughs> you know like we we can cover this up we can do it she's like. And Judith, you don't play no shit. She was like, no, I had to get a sample to them because th- this thing is deadly and stuff. It could spread. They're going to need to know this. And he's trying to like, well, can't we just like cover this shit up? <laughs> and then she's eventually like, you know what? She's like, okay, I'll do it. Allison, you go give the sample to him. He's like, he's like, fine. Okay. But all this other stuff, we're going to have to like cover it up. And let me take a look at this little bug. And then he asks like, he looks at Jim. He's like, who are you? He's like, and the Jim's like, I'm the detective in here. He's like, oh yeah, I heard about you. <laughs> I don't know why that, that scene was funny. So, so they start cutting the uh, the little slug thing now, and we have green slime come out of it, and it shocks like it does like an electric shock. And then eventually, like uh, since it's like moving around and sporing everywhere, they cover it up like in a glass jar. So. And they're not really yeah, sure. So basically, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say. So basically, it's like a, it's it's uh, there's a word for it, but it's like a cocoon, right? Like it's like he he vomited up this like cocoon with an with a bug in it. So, but they yeah. just now found that out that there's something inside. Yes. Yes, and then now one of the guards comes in, and he he says to Roger, like, "Hey, we got a problem. One of those paramedics that brought Fred in, he is now coming up with the same um, fevers." that Fred is and they all look at each other like worried because they all think it's going to be you know spread airborne now so so Roger uh, and then Roger's basically like okay shit you know I'll see you Judith in my office in 30 minutes and let's get all this stuff cleaned up so during all this stuff they're all going to be doing their stuff and they have Alice they're going to have her Alice is kind of like the uh, the helper the helper nurse and they're going to keep her uh, uh, watch of the insect. And I don't know about you, like, but did you notice like, all of all of these nurses were like 80s, like hot blondes? Yeah, they all look like 80s porn stars, kind of. Yeah. I was like... With their big glasses and everything. Yeah, everything. It was, it was, it was something. And then Jim is also asking if there's any news on Oscar... And the the front desk um, person just says he got in. There's no news yet on his condition at all. And then this is when we meet a really random like subplot in this movie. We meet the Bakers. So we have mm-hmm. George and his wife, and his wife is pregnant. And basically, what I put in my notes was Mr. Baker was doing some like Google doctoring. <laughs> Before Google doctoring was like available, yeah, yeah, because like basically he had all this stuff printed out of each step during the wife's pregnancy, and like you know it's one of those annoying dudes where like you don't really do the job, but you're gonna tell like the medical people how to do their job, and it's really annoying. Exactly. That's exactly. Ba- but that's basically his role of the whole movie. So he had to bring the wife in now because he knew this was gonna be the perfect time that he calculated during his. 1980s search research that she's gonna be pregnant at this exact moment 
so then you know after he gets the, they they basically said they're gonna go visit the doctor that they have um, and then they he's gonna they get the room ready and Jim makes a little bit of a joke so now they're testing Fred's blood just to make sure you know what's going on with everything see if they, they can find anything within the blood so while they're testing the blood they're talking a little bit about it uh, this is when Brad's, uh, Fred starts like freak out a little bit. And then she comes over there with the little, what do you call those things? Shockers. She tries to shock him and he just blows up all blood all over him. So Dee Dee is back in the room. All right. Yeah. And he's, she's basically, uh, her and Marwell, they're taking shots together because they're like, fuck it. You know, we're in quarantine. We got to do this. No problem. And it's like, Wait. Go exactly, ahead. exactly. Because they're going to do. I was going to say, recovery. yeah, exactly. When you're uh, quarantined, you just got to drink. That's Pretty one much. thing I learned over COVID. Exactly. They're ahead of her time. Dee Dee and Marwell were. So Allison is now just doing her 1980s nurse stuff in, in the room, and we see like this that, that shot. The camera like looks like there's somebody behind her. She gets creeped out for a second. She gets scared by Ted. Ted's like, oh, everybody's all nervous right now. And, she, and I was like, well, you'd be nervous too if you had to babysit this creature thing. And he's like, okay, well, you can just uh, meet me outside for a smoke and stuff. She's like, well, I can't leave. I gotta, I got to, uh, I gotta babysit Jimmy Cricket. <laughs> All right. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll just be a second out here. And they go and leave. She's like, okay, I guess we'll just be for a second so everything will be okay. So now. Um, Judith is checking on um, Marywell and she asks and then she just kind of tells like and just by the way of Judith's face she's like oh is Fred dead and Judith kind of breaks it to her that she is and uh, looks like um, uh, Marwell she's getting a little bit better All right, but then of course she's upset about Fred being dead and then they take and then Dee Dee she comes out behind the curtain and she gives her more shots to ease the pain so we have Jim. He's like smoking in the waiting room. Talk about shit you can't do nowadays. I was about to say that people are still smoking in hospitals back then. Yeah. And then, of course, the doctor comes up saying, well, that's bad for your health. Well, then why the fuck do you have like a fucking ashtray in the fucking waiting room then? You know, just put no right. smoking sign. It was bad for yeah. the... Well, you know I mean, back bad. then... Well, back then, though, you couldn't really tell people not to smoke places. People smoked everywhere. Yeah. And everybody smoked. Like... So, like nearly everyone, even in the eighties, was still smoking, and you know now it's pretty uncommon to find people who smoke. Like it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty uncommon. Yeah. Um, but back then, I mean, people smoked everywhere, and they smoked constantly. So now she's basically saying, like, "Hey, you know, Fred just died, and we have four more paramedics that came out with the same kind of symptoms that he did, and the staff is now doesn't want to go in because they don't want to risk being exposed." So then we literally cut the scene that had some word titling on it that we're now at the Lincoln Institute for for Disease Control Lab. So they checked the sample that they got in from the the clinic Mm -hmm. and they're testing and everything and they already figured out that four patients got, um, the four patients are gotten sick by this one and they can't necessarily tell exactly what it is. Like they, it's like a new foreign 
uh, test that they found, like they, they don't really know what it is at all. So the plan for that is they need to quarantine everything now. They need to figure out where the original source came from and they got to see where it's spreading at. So like one of the doctors is like, well, that shit's going to be impossible to do right away. But it's like, well, we got to get it done. We got to quarantine those two locations right now. So during all this, the kids, they're back. They're sneaking around again. And they go into the 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 layer that the uh, little slime bug was hanging out in. And I'm not exactly sure why they did this. But they grabbed some like powder or some sort of chemical. Um, I wrote it down. It's like the NNAC5. Is that a real thing? I don't think so. But I don't know for sure. I'm not a scientist, but yeah, I don't think that's real. I think that was. Made I mean, up scientists. That was like last month. They're making me do some more science shit over here. And and mm-hmm. yep. NNCA five. Yeah, we're a science podcast now. Yeah. So it's very interesting what this thing was. So the kids grab it. So I guess like they they were worried about it. Maybe they're trying to get it some food or something. So they pour this chemical on the little slug thing, and now the slug thing starts popping up, and it glows green. So they just run out and get out of there. And it was never discussed. Like, it was all the kid's fault. Well, yeah, I thought they were, like, just trying to feed it something. Yeah. They don't really say that, though. They just pour it on there for some reason. It's weird how the kids can get through this. Well, they do kind of mention that in a way, yeah. but it's kind of weird how the kids can get anywhere in this hospital um, without anybody knowing they're there. Yeah. So during... Um, like they got in the laser room and everything. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. So during all this too, Rachel comes up with the idea to talk to her insect doctor friend. <laughs> all right. So they, she wants to invite... She just randomly has in her back pocket a insect doctor friend and yeah, she is all about insects yes and she has um she has uh the uh, the the uh, security guard dude tony go get him okay and so this is what we see we see tony getting the doctor he's at his house of course there's insect shit everywhere <laughs> All right, and they're looking around. Tony's basically creeped out by the whole guy's house, and of course, the whole guy is a nice guy, but you can tell he's all about insects and he doesn't have any kind of life. So uh, the funniest part of this one is that there's bugs. Like it got one bug got onto Tony's jacket, and then of course the uh, the the doctor said like, "Oh, would you like some fresh lemonade?" And he's like, "No, nah, I'm good. We gotta go." And then they go out to Tony's car, and, and the doctor's like, oh, I like your car. It's my favorite one. He's like, oh, I get it. It's a beetle. Uh-huh, funny. Look at us. We're being uh, funny. Uh, uh. I thought, I thought that, that part was... I, thought, you know, I get it why they did it, but I thought that part was pretty lame. Yes. <laughs> so now we have um, Alice and Ted. They're back from, like, I guess... I don't know what they were doing. It looked like they got done fucking... But <laughs> but they they proceeded to get there because they're they were supposed to be like ten minutes, but they were only lasted like they lasted like thirty minutes. Okay, mm-hmm. and they're out there uh, doing that thing, and she's like, "Oh, I don't remember turning the lights off." He's like, "Oh, don't worry about it." And then she's like, "Well, I don't know if you could be in here some more." He's like, "Well, just blame everything on me." Then they start flirting, kissing, and then eventually mm-hmm. the big slimy bug is escaped. 
And they're kissing on like this glowing table. And then they she hears something. The guy's like, oh, that's just my heavy breathing. And of course, oh, of course. the creature attacks them. Gone. Yeah. Because they're because the bug's huge now. Yes. So now we have um, George. He's the uh, the Mr. Baker. He uh, miscalculated the wife going into labor. He's like, oh, I thought I did my whole calculations right, but apparently I'm wrong. So now we have um, the uh, now we have the insect doctor meeting with Rachel. And uh, they basically tell, okay, Tony, we need to go back to the original house, that greenhouse, and collect a sample there because we have to study it to see if we can find, you know, what's going on over here. So now Jim, um, so now Jim hears that there's some trouble with the surgery for Oscar. There's just some complications. And he goes up to, to Rachel to see what's going on. And Rachel's like, okay, well, I'm going to get the doctor situated, the insect doctor situated, and then I'll go see what's going on with Oscar. So now we have a nurse just walking around, and she's looking for Alice. She eventually goes to see where Alice was at, and she like, we hear like this long, drawn-out screaming. So everybody like hears her screaming out the whole... So this scene was a little weird. So the nurse, she's walking around. We see like there's some green slime everywhere. And she goes to the room where the they were fucking for a little bit, and she screams like bloody murder, like she saw something so devastating that she could not believe her eyes. Yes, and she you could hear her voice echo throughout this whole insane asylum. And we have like yep, the entire building. Judith, Ray, everybody's riding over there, and then they go there. You know what she just saw? She saw the lab messed up a little bit. The table tipped over with some green slime. Like, I thought she was going to yeah, see, so, like, some, like, maggulated bodies with, like, maggots come out yeah, of them or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I thought she was going to find the bodies, but she doesn't. Yeah. Like, of all the horrifying shit in this movie, this is what she gets. This is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and this girl was, like, bl- screaming bloody murder. And it's just a table with some green slime on it. Some shit messed up. So, they're looking around, they're like, they're, like, they see, like, a little bit of, like, clothes and stuff, and, um... They're like trying to figure out, you know, what's this green slime and what's going on now. And then they're kind of like they they find the NNAC five, and supposedly what this is, it's a genetic growth. So it's like this powder that can help different yeah. things grow. And then then the bug guy. Yeah, it's is, like it's like a horth, It's like a growth hormone. Yeah. That they that the kids fed to the bug, which is why it's a giant now. Yeah. And of course, the, the the bug man's like, you know, they could probably this happened before where they grew something, an insect and stuff. And then during all this stuff, uh, Dee Dee and Marwell they're still drinking. And okay, so during all this stuff, when they're talking about that, the power goes out. All right, and then we can see that the uh, the 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 surgery people for Oscars they need the power on. And they need to, and then to have a, a backup generator going on as well too. And then we can see that but the DD and all of them are still drunk during all this, and the kids go to bed because they know they did something wrong. So now we have Tony. He's trying to go to the to the greenhouse. He gets there and it's burning down. He's like, "Hey, you know, I got to. What's going on over here?" He's like, "Well, we got orders to burn down this greenhouse and destroy everything inside." He's like, "Well, I need to get something in there." He's like, "Well, no, you're not." 
He's like, well, I just can't. He's like, we, we have the orders to burn this one down. We have burn, uh, um, orders to quarantine the, the, the clinic. He's like, well, fuck, I just came back for the clinic. <laughs> so. Wow. And he's like, I still need to plan for that greenhouse. We're like, no, nah, it's not going to happen. So now he has to get back soon to the clinic. Right. Let him know what's going on. Okay. So we have, next up, we have some of the staff. And they're basically saying like, hey, you know, we're going to leave out of here because we don't want to expose ourselves to the infection. It's basically suicide. And Judith was saying like, yeah, I under- I don't like it, but I understand. So some of them leave. Um, then we have Roger. He's back. He's like, Judith, well, you know, what's going on? We get, we, we should probably get out of here. She's like, no, I'm, I can't. I got some patients I need to take care of. He's like, we have two more cases that actually showed up. And he's like, you can't go in there. You, you just can't. She's like, I have to go in there. Like, I don't have any other choice. So she goes in there. And then, uh, then we have one of the security guards grab Roger. So now we have the police and the quarantine crew. They're showing up to the hospital. And this is when one of the um, sheriffs was basically tells um, Roger and stuff that every, everything is under a class four quarantine and nobody can leave the building. It gives them a little official letter from the mayor that they can't leave the clinic now. They're all pretty much st- stuck in there. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> So the the one of the parts when the the light turned down, there was like this super old mechanic. Okay, and like it literally took him like forty minutes to go find the power source. Okay. Yes. So the old mechanic, he finally gets to the power source, and he sees like basically some hanging eggs, kind of like how we saw in the nest. And he starts to like freak out a little bit and then he gets scared and he gets grabbed and he gets basically eaten by one of the big insects that have some growth hormones pumping through their veins. So we're outside now. Tony's out there hanging out with the, 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 the chiefs and everything and he's trying to get inside. He needs to get inside the hospital to help out and everything. Which is weird because like so I'm not really sure what he was supposed to help out because his goal was to go to the greenhouse and pick up the sample that he really needed. But the greenhouse burnt down. So he couldn't get the sample. But now he needs to go right. back into the hospital to give them some important information. Well, what the fuck are we going to give him? Right. Like, what information did he get? It's almost like it was there was something originally in the script that was rewritten and they forgot to fix this part. Yeah. Like, did he sneak in and get the burnt sample or something? I have no idea. <laughs> So during all this stuff, um, he now they see like uh, this random patient dude's trying to escape. So he does the whole towel out the window gimmick, and the sheriff sees him. But hey, man, you can't get out of there, or else we'll, sh- we'll fire, we'll shoot you. And this guy doesn't listen at all. And then they eventually shoot his ass right when he gets down the ground floor. And Tony's like, "This is insane." <laughs> the way he said it was pretty. It's like it's like it's like cracks me up. Sheriff's like we can't let this get out of control. This is insane. So now the kids are up and they're talking about what's going on and stuff. And basically, they have to explore. That's their their main gimmick. So now we have Marwell and Dee Dee. They're pretty much drunk officially right now. And then everybody starts looking around now. 
like the whole cast is all looking around. And then we have stick people starting to wake up. And then we have, um, we have, so also to the other side story with the uh, George, you know, Baker and all them, he, they, the wife actually ended up going into labor because what he, he, did, he didn't calculate uh, daylight savings time in his calculations. So, oh, of course. Yes. So that's why he was a couple minutes off. But she's actually going yeah, to so labor so- now. I was going to say, so far, these two characters, the only thing they've contributed to the movie is that she's having a baby and he's annoying yes, to her. Pre- yeah, pretty much, yes. Yeah. And they're oblivious to everything going on. Right. So now we have Jim, Rachel, and then the doctor. Um, his name is Elis. They're all looking around. Uh, they go to the laser room and they find more green slime around the laser room. Uh-oh. So Jim said, uh, so now they're like looking around some of the, so past the laser room, they get deep down into like the boiler room and they, they hear something and Jim's like, cut the lights. But in the scene, you can see like, there's like, a, like nonstop flashing of blue lights. So I'm like, well, what fucking lights did you, did you cut? Like the flashlight? There's like a thousand other lights going on. <laughs> so now they see this huge, gigantic insect creature and the, the dr e he is like memorized by this thing he's like this is like the most like he's like you know because he's a big insect guy and he's never seen anything like this before so he's like taking pictures recording audio and stuff and they're all telling him to get back you know don't get too close to it and then they give out the whole explanation while they're just staring at this creature they're saying that the uh the, they could tell that the email the email the female right now is giving birth and by the doctor's calculation the female can give birth to about like a hundred was it no i see it's five to six hundred eggs and they all could be hatched within the next hour mm-hmm. all right because insects they do things differently than we do and then of course he's trying to take some more pictures record some more audio rachel is trying to go to a different area and eventually, like, the, the male insect catches her, and then she runs. And then we have some of our horror movie scenes within this bug movie, where Rachel is running to a different room. The insect's trying to get in there and knock down the door. And then she hides into, like, a body cellar part. And then she gets rescued by, by uh, Jim and says, Hey, we got to go find the doctor. We got to go find it, too, like, the male bug. So they go back to where Doctor E's at. He's still recording the creature, all right. And then they see the, they see the cre- another creature in the hallway, and it's kind of like so. Rachel explains where the creature's at right now. It's basically in like this hallway. That's like for the uh, it was deep down in the asylum. This is where they put the dangerous patients. All right, yeah, back in the asylum days. Yeah. Yes, in the asylum days. So we can't go around these halls, but they did notice they're saying like, listen, the the insect female one is a little weak right now because it's giving a lot of birth and stuff. And the doctor, he realizes that the male insect was protecting the female one. And he said that was a little odd because insects usually don't do that because they think differently than we do. But he says there's something going on over there. 
and the the doctor also is saying like you know we don't have to worry about this one right now it'll find the first dry area that it that it can find so now we have the the kids they're in that, that same kind of like level where that all of them are at that little dangerous asylum level and this is when i found one of the kids says they're gonna find a big blue monkey could have been monster but i heard monkey okay so one kid also has to go to the bathroom so they all leave and the bug was kind of close to where they were at so good thing they left so roger's up there he reads the message he got from the mayor basically saying they can't leave because the virus can from can can they have to contain the virus in here and it's under a class four and everybody's like what the fuck's a class four and he's like well that's classified I'm like, well, what you. the fuck? Just tell me, motherfucker. We're about to die, probably. So what the fuck does class right. four mean? He's like, well, that's exactly. just classified, but it's not good. It's very dangerous. Basically saying they can't leave. And they're on their own to figure out this whole mess. So this is one doctor. He, he's basically answering all their questions. They're like, okay, what's going to go on with all these eggs and stuff? He's like, well, you know, the eggs will probably grow and the you know after a couple you know if this if the female hatches all their eggs within like a year or two we could probably have like a million of these huge big insect creatures hanging around everywhere so so we basically what we need to do is we need to stop the female and its eggs before they could massive massively reproduce and this is when he was saying like you know i didn't notice that the uh the male insect was guarding the female. That means the female might be weak. So that's our opening. What we got to do is we got to split the two apart so we can yeah. isolate the male one and then burn the uh, female one. So it's, but they're like, okay, how are we going to do that when we don't really know too much about the, um, the, the, the little area that we were in? We don't know how to get ourselves, you know, into a good way back into the tunnels. And Rachel's like, I know somebody knows all these tunnels. So now we, we cut back to the police chief and he said basically he has orders in about two hours to blow up the whole fucking place. So now we have Jim and Rachel. They asked Joey, the little kid, can you get them to a certain part of the tunnel? And Joey says, I don't know how to explain it to you, but I can just show you by me taking you there. And they're worried about mm-hmm. it, but then eventually agreed. So, yeah, because he can't tell them, so they have to. Yeah, they pretty much have to. So he's all taking them to the tunnels now. And this is when we split up the group. So we have Jimmy and Jim going to where the male is at. Then we have Dr. E and Rachel. They're going to where like the female one's at. All right. And their plan is to isolate the two. And a couple of things they also came up with too is they can't shoot the insects or they can't chop them because they could just regrow all their limbs. So the only thing they could do basically is burn them. And... They have to get uh they have to get uh barrels, all right, with you know flame flammable barrels, and Roger wasn't keen on this idea because you know he says like you know this place is very flammable we can all blow up, which is very not true. <laughs> Coming up a little later, but uh, he right. said that they're all they're all he agreed to it and they said they're all in like the storage room. So Jim's also gonna grab himself one of those too. So now we have drunk Dee Dee and we have Marwell. They go to Judith and they're going to her drunk. And Judith's like, you know, how, how, of course you two would get drunk during this time of panic. And then when she starts to think about it, she's like, hey, you know, 
you two are like pretty healthy over here like you know that's kind of weird like why you were expo- like she was talking about Meredith specifically like you're exposed to this you know this little infection and you which is weird though because Judith was too and she seemed like she was fine but yeah yeah it seems to only infect some people yeah but she then she starts having like an idea like so there's an idea forming in her head so now we have her back at the butlers and the wife is pushing out the baby and of course the husband is taking pictures the whole time so now Judith rushes to the her to the room that Mary the Marywell was in and she looks at the alcohol and she's like of course the the alcohol has stopped the toxins from spreading through the body so that's it we got to get everybody drunk on Jim Bean what do you think they were drinking? Jim Bean or whiskey? Uh, well, Jim Bean is whiskey, but yeah, I think they were drinking Jim Bean. I meant to say, uh, what's the other whiskey out there? Brand Jim Bean is a famous one. Tennessee, the Tennessee one. Jack Daniels. Yeah, Jack Daniels. That's what it is. It's one of the two. So now we have Rachel and the Doctor. They're looking for. Um, they're all around there looking for the uh, for the insects, the, the the ones that are like giving birth. And they they basically get to the room where the the main female one is giving birth, and they're like very memorized by the whole process. And Jim is now telling Joey to hide because they heard a noise, so he's telling Joey to hide. And then Rachel and Dr. E, you know, they were, after they watching some of the, the, um, the, uh, the insects getting during birth and stuff, she asked him, like, he asked, oh, yeah, this is like an old insane asylum and stuff. And then now they're like watching the, uh, the insects lay the eggs. And then they're trying to figure out, like, well, like, they don't necessarily know how to, like, isolate this process going on like they couldn't figure that out so eventually they were trying to figure out um like they were they're basically watching the whole process of the insect kind of like giving birth and you know making cocoons and during this process yeah. they're about to leave they're trying to figure out like a better plan to get it isolated but then rachel sees that there's humans still still alive in the nest of the insect she starts freaking out a little bit. And why she does that, the male uh, insect hears them and they have a big old chasing that goes on. And then during this, Jim, um, they kind of like rotate. Like Jim goes to the where the birthing process is and then the, the, the male follows, um, uh, follows uh, uh, Dr. E and Rachel and tries to attack them even though they, they lock themselves in like a little room. So then Jim goes there, he uses his, uh, his, his uh, butane tank and flames, and he blows up the female thing, uh, female insect, giving birth mm-hmm. and shit. What do you think about the, uh, the prosthetics in this movie? I thought, they, I thought that part was pretty good. Oh, no, I thought it was great. I mean, I love, you know, a lot of people that saw this today, you mean just the way it looked in general, right? Is what yeah. you're asking me? Yeah, and then the insect. Um, I mean, a lot creepy. of people today. Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of people today would probably complain about this because I guess people love like CGI shit. But I feel like 
to me, honestly, this looks way more realistic than a, than CGI looks. You know, if you have like really built things, even though they're you know obviously made out of rubber and plastic, if you if you cut the film right, if you if you if you edit it right, it looks really good. You just can't linger on one thing too long. But um, but it looks better than like the real fake movement that so many. Uh, you know, that so many, so many movies or every movie now has. So yeah, I thought it looked great. I loved it. Yeah. So during when Jim um, burnt down the female, the, the, uh, the male insect mm-hmm. stops attacking Rachel and it goes toward where Jim's at because it can sense that something's danger with his species. So he runs over there all pissed off and stuff and he sees his whole family burnt down. It's kind of a sad scene a little bit. And then he starts chasing Jim throughout the whole tunnels. Uh, Joey shows up and Jim picks him up. And they keep running. So we get more. Like I said, we get a lot of uh, Jim running. This is like, this is like, this is the start of him running through every fucking room. Um, Jim said to Joey, so basically, he, he when they find a stopping point, uh, Jim told Joey, hey, I need you to go upstairs and find your friends and stuff and tell everybody to go lock themselves in the room. So I need you to go up there and tell everybody that. He's like, okay. So they all are up uh, stairs, and Joey tells Joey's telling everybody upstairs to go. Hey, there's a big bug coming. Everybody, go lock yourself in the room and hide. Everybody hide in there because they're all kind of like congregating. Conjur- you know, they're all like kind of like in the room together, like in one big room together. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So now Rachel is telling Doctor E, and, and Doctor E is telling, warning everybody. Um, that the insect is coming up here. And this is when Jim also warns Roger, like, hey, the insect, we all need to run and spread out and hide. And he's coming up through the... He's basically, they're saying that the insect's coming up through the to the basement all the way up to the front floor. So then while they're running, they're trying to get everybody to hide. The insect comes up to the front and he, he breaks through and the bug uh, kills some random guy that was hanging out there and they all start scattering right now. So Dr. E. Rachel... Um, Dr. E and Rachel have a plan to bring the bug the bug into the laser room. So now Jim's shooting the bug and it has no effect, of course. And of course, this is when they all they all scattered. And now now this is when uh, the bug is start chasing um, chasing Jim. And he chases them throughout a couple rooms in the hospital until eventually they go into where the baby room or giving birth to the baby was in. And this is a really weird scene because like Jim walks in there, he's like, "Oh shit!" They all kind of look at him weird. He runs, bug comes in, and then that's it. Like we don't see anything else right. after that. And again, <laughs> and he's chasing them. The bugs chasing him. They start fighting a little bit, and eventually um, we're about to the gym. He gets knocked down, and the, um, the 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 insect male insect is about to like eat Jim's head. Until Dr. E, he starts playing the tape of the insect sounds. And that is the way for him to lure in the big giant uh, bug into the laser room. Alright? And it's working, it's working, everything's working well. Until the bug gets a little frisky and starts to jump on him. And this is when it kind of knocks Dr. E down one of the levels of the floor. And it's a random guy in like a suit. He's like, oh, there's still people here. And then he gets eaten by the bug. And then this is yep. when Rachel <laughs> runs down and she helps get up Dr. E. And this is when we have 
Jim help up get Dr. E and get him out of that room as well, too. And during all this, this is when the, the bug starts attacking again, and we have more running. A whole lot of running. Gotta take up your time somehow. Yes. So the bug attacks Jim and Dr. E. Uh, Rachel, so so this part is, is funny. So they they get him up, right? And they're about to run, but then the bug comes in there. He starts attacking both um, uh, Jim and Dr. E. And then Rachel, she just pulls out a laser. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we've already established that you need like some sort of like medical suit to use the laser. <laughs> but she's just there yeah, in her fucking she's just there in her fucking street clothes using like this little mm-hmm. laser gimmick. So Yeah, like, well, I mean, you know, desperate times, right? You you got to get you got to kill the uh, got to kill the giant bug. Then why were they doing those suits then? I mean, I guess the laser, I guess you don't need a suit to use the laser. Anyway, there well, is um, it, maybe it's just like a safety thing. Well, fuck it. Fuck safety. Now they're desperate, so they don't have time to put on the suit. They've just got to like they just got to grab that laser man and kill this damn bug. That's true. So she's using a little laser on his ass. Doesn't work. She gets knocked mm-hmm. down. All right. Um. Then after she gets knocked down, then Jim starts using the laser on the bug, and then Doctor E's like, "Shoot him in the eyes, laser him in the eyes, laser him in the eyes." So eventually, Jim gets the bug in the eyes. The bug like freaks out and blows up and starts like jumping on the ceiling, even though you can obviously see that's being lifted by a cord. Mm-hmm. And then yes. the bu- the bug eventually like falls down and it blows up and then we have all this huge like explosion scene which is like a really weird scene because everything blows up but it's like one of those things where everything blows up but everything still looks the same like did you notice that like so when the bug fell on like yeah like we have an explosion in like four different places in the laser room and it right. literally looked like pyro just went off that was it. Like you know how pyro right. goes off, it blows up, but it doesn't do anything to anything. It doesn't like break right. anything. That's exactly what yeah, happened with this scene. Yeah. Well, because that's exactly what it was. They just yeah. set up pyro in the studio to make it look like they had a bug explosion. Yes. They did the best they. Okay, I'm not gonna say that. I was gonna say they did the best they could. They probably didn't do the best they could, but they did something. They made a movie. Yeah. Made a full length movie. A full length movie. <laughs> well, you know they had a bug, so. They had a bug. Yeah, yeah, they did have a bug. So, yeah. So, after it blows up, they start, like, staring at the insect for a while. And then they just leave. And then we get a shot of the Mill Valley Clinic. All right. Butler takes home his newborn baby. They're all happy. They didn't even know mm-hmm. what the fuck was going on during the whole movie. No, the, the, the bakers had no idea. Yeah. There even was a bug. Which the- I think was supposed to be the joke was supposed to be funny but it just isn't that funny. yeah judith thanks marwell about drinking because i helped everybody because you got everybody drunk i guess and Dee's mm-hmm. like do we have any cure for a hangover yeah jim meets with oscar oscar says thanks <laughs> this guy literally did jack shit during this movie nope rachel is uh yeah, the guy that the shot guy he just laid in the bed the entire time yeah 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 like he had like three scenes basically. So Rachel and Jim they're like they're they're outside right now, all right. And then uh, this is before they they're walking. Joey's like, "Well, you know, will I ever see you again, Jim?" And Jim's like, "Well, yeah, you're my best friend now, so of course I'll come see you." Yeah, of course. I was like, "You better you better not let this kid go down, bro." 
and then um and then they, they uh they're outside um jim and rachel are yeah and uh jim's like well you know how about maybe a little later on i could have a we mean you can have a quiet breakfast i make a killer omelet Ooh, doesn't she doesn't she say do you know a good place yeah. And he said, "Yeah, I make a killer omelet. So yeah, come yeah. over to my house. So what a cheap bastard! Good way saying, yeah." And then they he like walks off slowly while she's like staring at him. And then we cut mm-hmm. to the basement and we use like a fucking Evil Dead camera to go all throughout the yes. fucking danger <laughs> layer of the asylum. And we go to some teddy bear. We see an egg there. And we hear some girls scream out for the doctor. And then we set up for a sequel that we'll never fucking get. That we will never have. We will never have, <laughs> brother. And that is the full review of Blue Monkey, aka Insect. That, that was, was something. That was something. You know, it's a <laughs> it's a movie, and it fit the theme for the month. <laughs> You're right. It, it is a movie. It's a full length movie. It's a full ninety six minutes. So you know, it had. It had some good parts to it, but to be honest with you, this this one is not like it was like a bad movie and the acting yeah. wasn't bad, but I would say it's just kind of boring. Yeah, I thought so too. It just wasn't that. I just wasn't that interested in it. Yeah. Um. You know that you could tell they didn't really have a way to make the bug move much. Yeah. So you you could only see it like being ra- being lowered from the ceiling. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and then that's about it, really. I mean, you can just tell they just didn't have a way to like. Um, and just you know, they should have made it to where like a guy could be in the suit moving it, so that it would you know it could actually maybe do something. But yeah, you know they didn't have the budget of aliens for this, so they couldn't do that. What can you do, brother? But then again, what does? So, but everybody, that has been our full review of Blue Monkey. Hope you all enjoyed it. But come, meet us here back next week as we continue our Bugs Gone Wild month. And we're going to be talking all about, Allison, what movie are we going to be talking about? Let's go uh, to, to a year later, 1988. Let's go with Slugs, the movie. Ooh. Slugs, brother. 1988. Mm. Is that 1988? That's when it took, that's when the movie came out, yes. Yeah. Well, this movie came out in 1988, too. Oh, well, it's the same year then. So this yeah. came out the same year. It's the Just, same year, uh, brother. Same year, so we'll compare there. that to uh, to slugs. You're, yeah. you're gonna like this. Slugs is a classic. Yeah, I mean, come, well, you know, was this like we got to get this one? You know, this one came out in VHS, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we're gonna That's have true. a little bit That's more, true. you know, a little bit more to talk about with, when it comes to slugs. But it is pretty interesting the the battle of the insect movies. So mm-hmm. that should be pretty fun. So join us up here next week as we talk all about the slugs. And Allison, obviously, we're going to leave everybody with some Iron Maiden. Yeah. Can I play with Madness? Signal. Yeah, what a great tune. Great tunes over here. Talk about a, a song that's last, the, the, the Tale of Time. And, of course, this insect movie, I'm pretty sure it's lost for the Tale of Time. Has <laughs> is, is anybody ever done a review about this movie? Because I highly doubt I, it. I, I wonder if we're the only people that have ever done a podcast on this movie. It's possible. I mean, we could be shocked out there, but I'm pretty sure we might be the only ones. But everybody, join the Facebook page. Join the uh, the, the YouTube channel when I get that going. Support the podcast. Let it get the name out there. 
I mean, come on, guys. If if, if nobody's going to talk about Blue Mon Monkey, somebody has to. And that's what we're here for. Somebody has to, yeah. So. And watch these movies. It's important. Watch watch, yes. watch these 80s horror films. Yes. Don't let this stuff die. Watch our boy Jim, you know, flirt the whole time with his little pistol and give out the omelet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> give out the omelet. Is that your new, uh, your new term for it? Yeah. Give it out the omelet. Give out the omelet. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll check you out later. See you guys. <laughs>